Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at a few things here this morning. And like Angie said, they are weird. And so... I'm going to get in trouble for that one. I mean, how many people in the church, you turn on the news, right? Can I share this story? Yes. And you see somebody who goes to your church on the news for shooting a skunk. A skunk is on their property, and they pull out, I don't know how many shotguns they have, they pull one out, blow the skunk to to whatever, you know, and then boom. I mean, how many people, I mean, has anyone ever done, anybody else have ever done that before, shot a skunk? Uh, Yeah, not a skunk. You shot a skunk, Rick? All right, let's go on to Ephesians chapter 4. Maybe you need to move to misery. You learn things about people, boy. I tell you, we got to fill up that prayer request thing back there and really lift one another up. I was in one church where a guy had a pet coon. Who has a pet coon? And the thing bit him. And so he calls up, pray for me. I got to go get rabies shots and all this. My pet coon. And I just was so tempted to say, who has a pet coon for crying out loud? But yeah, anybody else have a pet coon here? I don't know. Maybe we'll learn something else about you guys. Keys to maintaining healthy relationships. Um, as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, and this is a wonderful passage because if somebody was to come up to you and say, how do churches grow? I mean, how can we grow churches? You can read a lot of different books on that, a lot of different church growth strategies. If you just do this and that, and all of a sudden your church will grow. If you if you are faithful in evangelism, your church will grow. If you are faithful in expository preaching, your church will grow. If you have a compelling vision, your church will grow. If you have inspired leadership, your church will grow. And really, when you're done reading those books, you can grow Starbucks using their principles. But let me say this. Every church should grow. Now, I'm not only saying numerically here. We should all be growing spiritually. If if we're not growing, something's wrong. Health-wise. And so, how do churches grow? Notice this. I have two commitments here. A growing church, when you say, I want to be part of a growing church, here's the two commitments of every growing church. First, they have a commitment to the greatest commandment. I love this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the foremost what? Commandment. We ought to be committed to what? Loving God with everything inside of us. Loving God with all our heart. With all our soul, with all our mind, that means our emotions, our intellect, our will. We love God with everything inside of us. For how long? For all, all we got. But the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. First part I like. Loving God, all my heart, soul, and my, that's great. But loving others, (laughs) that gets a little messy as we're going to see here in a moment. That's a little difficult. But a growing church is committed to that. Also, a growing church is committed to what? 
The greatest, the great commission here. Notice the great commission. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make what? Disciples. So a growing church is committed not only to loving God and to loving one another, but they're committed to loving those who don't know Jesus. And we are committed to, to sharing the gospel with them and pointing them to Christ. That is the solution to their problems. And so let me say this, putting these two things together, somebody was saying, what does a growing church look like? And I thank God that we are part of a growing church, that people are committed to loving God and committed to loving one another. Here's what I would say to this. A growing church is committed to godly relationships. And this goes against everything we are in this world right now. Because right now we're told to isolate from one another. Right now we're told to stay away. Don't go near people. Right now we're told that we can do everything we can on the internet and don't worry about anything else. You don't need anybody else. Right now instead of cultivating, it's amazing the world we live in, instead of having a face-to-face -face conversation, we're having Facebook-to-Facebook -Facebook conversations now. Or should I say fake book to fake book? Instead of, I, I saw this picture of these uh, five or six grandkids around their grandparents and they're sitting there on their phones, me, 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 and they're sitting there and the picture says, look up because one day they'll be gone. We live in a tremendous world now. But if we're going to be a growing church, we need to cultivate godly relationships with one another. And those are messy. Those are risky. In fact, there's a wonderful book, if you don't have it, it's called Relationships Are Messy, But They're Worth It. They're very messy. So how can I and how can we as a church cultivate these godly relationships? I'm not just talking amongst one another, but in our homes, husband and wife, father and child. How can we have these godly worker with their boss? How can we have these relationships that honor God? How can we maintain healthy relationships? They break down so easy. I remember as a kid saying to my mother, Ma, where's your best friend? No, I'm not talking to her anymore. I'm done with her. She did this, this, and this. All right, then she had a new best friend. And I was excited about her new best friend. I said, so Ma, where's your new best friend? I ain't talking to her either. She did this, this, and this to me. And then a couple of years ago by, hey, Ma, how about that person you were hanging out with? Where's no, not her either. No, nothing. And then they would come back for a season and they'd be best friends again. They're like, oh, they, they reconciled. This is great. Your best friend's back. Yeah, just for a week. I'm done with her. <laughs> They're great and they break down. They're great and they break down. So how can we maintain them? And how can we honor God through them? That's why I love this passage. Look at, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, and we're going to study keys to maintaining godly relationships. How can I maintain and how can you maintain godly relationships? Look at this. Number one, let your conduct match your calling. 
Now watch this in verse 1. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, after talking about all the doctrine that he talked about in chapters 1 to 3 that were amazing in Ephesians, we studied amazing doctrines that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that we are adopted as a child of God, that we are redeemed, that we are forgiven, that we are sealed, that we are as a church, a family. I mean, we studied amazing things in chapter 1, 2, and 3, but if we stop there, we've missed it. Now that we know these amazing things about us, who we are in Christ, and who we are as a church, now it's time to do things. So he says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, here's what I'm begging you to do. Here's what I want you to do. Here's, here's what we need to do. I'm coming alongside you and I'm urging you like a good coach cheering you on. Notice this in verse 1. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. This is an interesting verse here. Here's what he's saying in verse 1. I want you to walk worthy. What he's saying is the word used of scales. And what he's saying is, I want you to balance the scales. I want you to live, as we're going to see in a moment, Live out your position in Christ, who you are in Christ. May that match your conduct. Notice this here. I want you to have equal weight. You ever notice when there's a boxer who's about to fight somebody and he says, I need a worthy opponent. What does that mean? Somebody that can probably beat him up. Somebody worthy, somebody who is at his level. So what he's saying here is have equal weight. Balance the scales. You know who you are in Christ. Balance that with your life. And here's what he says. The calling, when he talks about the calling, it refers to all we are in Christ. Now here's where we miss it. In a lot of churches, and we have to be careful in our church as well, in a lot of churches, we love to preach biblical doctrine and study and rip the scriptures apart. Amen. Don't you love? I love that. I love to come to the Bible and rip it apart, understand it, and just understand what the scriptures take everything I can out of the verse. We love doctrine. We love to read good books. I love the book of the month. It goes, we put the book of the month out there. People are grabbing the book of the month. We love to read good books. We love to study doctrine. We love to do those things. But then we stop there. There's other churches that they love to talk about what you need to do. You need to witness. You need to get right with God. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. And so they're all about what? Behavior. And so on this side, we have the, the belief. What does the Bible say? And people want to hear that. There's, on this side, we have the behavior. What do I got to do? What do I got to do? And so we have an imbalance. We, we're not balanced. And here's what the Bible says. We ought to walk out what we believe should affect how we behave. And here's the thing. What we believe will affect how we behave, whether we like it or not. There are people who blow up planes because of what they believe. There are people who knock on doors because of what they believe. 
And so our beliefs affect our behavior, but we need a balance between what? What we believe and who we are. And some people say, well, I understand what the Bible says, that I'm redeemed and I'm forgiven, but I just don't feel forgiven. I don't live forgiven. That's why he says in this verse, I love it, we are to walk worthy of our calling. It's a walk. It's not a sprint. It's not an overnight change. It's a slow, slow walk. I love my app, my walk, walking app on my phone. I love it because it tells me how lazy I am. What I don't like about my walking app is that every day, what I did yesterday doesn't matter. I got my goals for today. 10,000 steps. Right, let me work on that. 10,000 steps. All right? I lose some steps here when I'm preaching, by the way. Now I'm going to get a few right here. That's going to do nothing for me. Every day, we have an opportunity to walk with God. To make progress in our spiritual life. To allow our position in Christ, to allow what we know we are in Christ, to live out who we are in Christ. Our relationships would change around us if we were to live out how God has called us and who we are in Jesus. Walk it, he says. I'm, I'm begging you to walk worthy of this. To, to take your time to make progress in this. To understand who you are in Jesus and balance the scales. Balance the scales. You say, I need direction, Jeremy. I'm not just going to go out for a walk and not know where I'm going. That's verse 2. He tells us where to step. Here's where we're going to walk here. Here's how we're going to walk. This is amazing. Treat others as God treats you. Notice this in verse 2. I want you to walk worthy. How, does this, how is this worthy? How do we balance the scales? We put these five things into our lives. Notice this here. And this is naughty. This is very convicting. The first thing would walk with all what? Humility. And let me just say this. The moment we think we've reached, uh, we got humility, we've lost it. But really, what is humility? And, and, and let me tell you this. Really, our humility was challenged when these mask mandates came out. Our humility was challenged. Because we've had two options with that. One, either we're going to insist on our own rights and fight everybody and beat them up. Or two, we're going to think of others. What were we going to do? And let me tell you what true humility is. Humble people do not insist on their own rights. People who are humble are not going to go, I have a right for this and this is going to happen because these are my rights. The Bible says you have a right and your right is to give up your rights. And yet we fight those things. We are, this is my right, my right, my right. That, we've lost humility when we're living like that. And our relationships are hurting because we're insisting on our rights. And then humble people, notice this here, put others' interests ahead of their own. In fact, in the Bible it says we're to consider others as superior than ourselves. And to think of what's important to them and make it important to us. So here's what he says. I want you to walk worthy of your calling. And here's the first step you're going to take. You're going to not insist on your own rights. And you're going to put others first. Wow. I don't know if you've ever seen joy. Somebody spell out J-O-Y. Joy. Jesus, others, yourself. 
you come last. And true humility is really not going to insist on our own rights. And true humility is going to put others as superior in ourselves. Notice the next thing. Gentleness. What does gentleness mean? Well, gentleness means this. Power under control. It's the opposite of bullying. I don't know. I got to share a... A childhood story. I don't know. My cousin's watching. I don't know if she remembers this. We were in Florida. I used to get bullied a lot. You may not think that about me, but I did. I only weighed 60 pounds in middle school. I weighed 90 pounds in high school. And I remember in middle school, there was this kid that weighed a little bit more than 60 pounds. I won't say how much. But bullied me. And he would come and chase me. And chase me and, just, and, and pin me against a wall. And I remember the day, I remember the glorious day that it all changed. He came running after me, pinned me against the wall. And, and we had this little dip that went next to our apartment here. And all I decided to do, like a good Italian, is start swimming. Bing, 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 bing. And his head started to move back and he rolled down the, the ditch. Don't mess with this 60-pound-year-old. 60-pounder. <laughs> Yo, whoever I was, 60-pounder. I don't know how old I was at the time. Don't mess with me. I knocked him right down the thing. You know what happened? He got back up. He chased me. I'm running, hiding between cars. I mean, he couldn't get between cars, but I could. I was hiding between cars. I was hiding in places he couldn't get. I was scared to death, crying. Oh, this guy had power, and he was using it to manipulate and hurt me. You want to know what a gentle person is? A gentle person has power but doesn't use it to manipulate and hurt others. It is power under control. And we saw that in Jesus when he was with the disciples and Judas came and gave him a kiss and Peter got all upset. So what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna arrest our Lord? Rawr! Chop the guy's ear off. That's some of us. We would love to do that, huh? Grab that sword and chop it off. Peter, put, put that away. Don't you know I can call a legion of angels and destroy this place in a moment? But I won't. This has to happen. That, my friends, is gentleness. That is power under control. And if we want our relationships to flourish, we need to understand how to hold that power under control. Notice the next one. When I get, this is getting more convicting as we walk into these step, step. We're getting there. We got the humility. We're not insisting on our rights. We, we're holding that power under control. Notice the next one. Patience. That long fuse with somebody. That, that, that putting up with somebody. That enduring insults. That slow to wrath. That not getting mad in an instant. You ever meet anyone like that? That just gets aggravated and just, rah, they're all upset. In a second, they're all, anybody cuts them off on the road, rah, anybody just talks to them, rah, their veins start popping. They're just slow to wrath. A long fuse. A relationship takes a long fuse. Somebody with a very long fuse, not with just problems, but with people. Somebody who doesn't take matters into his or her own hands. Somebody that could avenge themselves but doesn't. Somebody that is able to endure discomfort without fighting back. Wow. Everything inside of us, the moment somebody insults us or says something about us is to do what? Fight back. And if our relationships are going to flourish, we need to be somebody with a long fuse. Fuse. 
with people. And let me tell you, the longer we live in this world, the longer our fuse needs to be. Because <laughs> we get exasperated quickly. Quickly. Shut off the news. I'm sick of it. See our neighbors? Oh, man, get that out. Oh. Look what they're doing now. Ten cars next to us. Crying out loud. They're having another party? What are they doing? Yeah, amen. You're amen, huh? Did you see what so-and-so said to me? Oh, man, they just make me mad. Make me mad. Pray for me. A patient person has a long fuse and doesn't take matters in her own hands. Ah, oh, the neighbor wants to do that? Watch me, baby. Watch me. Want to stay up all night, put their music on? Watch me tonight. We're going to have a party tonight. Patient person doesn't do that. Look at this next one. This next one is about as convicted. I mean, this is getting harder and harder. Maybe we should stop here and just pray and leave. Look at this here. Showing what? Tolerance. You know what that word means? Look at this word. It means to put up with the failures and flaws of others or to accept a complaint. Now, let me just say this. This word is telling us that we need to respond in a godly way when somebody criticizes us or somebody complains against us. And just ask yourself this. The last time somebody said something about you that was a complaint or a criticism, did it hijack your whole week? Was it in your mind? I can't believe they feel that about me. How can they say that about me? Does it manipulate your, your sleep at night because of what they said? Then something's wrong with your identity in Christ. And let me tell you, I struggle with it. I, I'm amazed on how quick I forget a compliment. Somebody says something, and I'm like, well, that was nice. But a complaint? Oh, man. I'm walking out of here. They say that about, well, <laughs> They don't like that. They did that. Unbelievable. What did I do? Unbelievable. They feel that way? I can't believe Oh, you know, all I did was say hi and they could put it. I mean, unbelievable. And all of a sudden, it hijacks my day. It hijacks my week. It hijacks everything. My sleep. When I first coached, I was all excited about being a coach. I was giving everything I could. My first practice, I was all excited. We're having fun. The kids are laughing. They're like, that's great. I get a call from the commissioner. They call him the commissioner, whatever he is, the director there of the Little League. He says, you know what? We had a parent complain about you. I said, what did I do? Well, you had the kids hitting without a helmet on. You need to make sure they all wear helmets when they hit. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I, didn't. I couldn't sleep all night because of that one complaint. Instead of thinking about how wonderful that practice was and how great of a time we had, all I let was that hijack my thoughts. He says, you want to have godly relationships? You need to learn to tolerate others and accept complaints and learn from them and allow God to work in your heart. And not only that, except put up with the failures and flaws of others. Anybody have any failures and flaws? <laughs> you might know what's great about marriage is that you get to know them more and more and more over time. They just come out. I mean, it's amazing how they come out. And some of them are dumb, like, oh, he leaves the cap off the toothpaste. I mean, that's dumb. There's some of them are pretty serious flaws, like snoring. <laughs> Any snorers here? 
Yeah, you got a few of them, right? Very hard. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not a snorer. I'm not saying Katie's a snorer. I'm saying somebody in her family's a snorer, but I won't mention who it is. It's hard to put up with some snoring. See, paps are a blessing from God, aren't they? Amen. Put it on there and you don't hear anything except the pap going. And then the pap bothers you, you know, all night. Putting up with what? The failures and flaws of others. You know what this is saying? We need to learn to cut each other slack. Because we all have them. And instead of making them worse by talking about them all the time, cut the person slack. You say, how can I cut anyone slack? Look at this next stepping stone. It's love. Showing tolerance for one another in love. And really, what is love? Love is seeking God's best for the object love. Love is not just wanting your best for that person because oftentimes we confuse that with love. Hey, let me tell you what you need to do. I really think this is best for you. No, no. True love is wanting God's best for that person. And that may mean not your best. We're going through that right now with Ellie trying to pick a college. I know my best for her. Pikes Peak Community College. That's my best. <laughs> she stays with me. But what's God's best? That's not easy. And trying to seek God's best as we look at this school and that school and we look at different ones. And she leans one way and I'm like, oh man you got to want God's best. And true love, when we love one another, we look at one another and we say, hey, look, this is God's best. We want God's best for you. It's not about me and you. It's about you and him. We want God's best for you. And we find that in the scriptures that God would guide us that way. You say, Jeremy, there is no one in, on this earth that, could, that would treat somebody with all these things there is no one that ever would treat anyone with humility, with gentleness, with patience, with tolerance and love. I don't know anyone, you could say. I don't know anyone. And yes, there is someone. His name is Jesus. Amen. You talk about the humility of Jesus Christ, of leaving His glory to come down here on this earth. That's humility. You talk about the gentleness of Jesus Christ who could wipe us out today if He wanted to, but yet He allows us to live. You talk about the patience of our Lord. Wow, he's got a long fuse with me. I'll tell you that, much. a long one with me. The patience of our Lord. You talk about the tolerance, how he puts up with my flaws and my failures. He does. And you talk about the love. How he died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose again. That's love. You see, we're to treat others as God has treated us. And we are to balance the scales and to, and, and to walk worthy of that calling and how He has shown how that is. We can do it with other people. He said, Jeremy, there's got to be something else here because, you know, I try to do these things, but my relationships break down. Notice what it says in verse 3. This is, this is a wonderful passage of Scripture. Treat others as God treats you. Understand what true unity is all about. People say, can't we just get along? Well, what does that mean? Can't we just get along? Well, let me tell you what some people think that means. Can't you just think like I do? Yeah. <laughs> For crying out loud. 
I'm going to get it. Actually, there's a verse in the Bible. I love it. It's like Philippians where Paul says, if you don't think like me, God will show you one day and you will. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing it, but I love sending that verse to people sometimes. You know, Oh, you don't agree with me? Let me send you this one. Huh? How do you like that? Can't we just get, can't the world just get their act together and think like me? That is not unity. That is not biblical unity. In fact, notice what he says, what true unity is all about. He says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. What is unity? Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not where we all think, act, and behave the same way. And if we come into the church, we all got our, I was going to pick on this before I saw Rob, our suits and ties on, you know what I mean? And we all think the same way. And blessed are thou today. How is thou is today? And we all have the same vocabulary and we all think and act and we all stand up the same, sing the same, we're all the same. That's not unity. That's not, praise God, we're not all the, praise God the guys are weird. Amen? <laughs> it spices up the church. I'm glad that people don't just think like, well, maybe I would want more Yankee fans, but I'm glad that we're all different. I don't want us all to be externally the same. So what is unity? Here's what unity is. Unity, the very word itself, means togetherness. We are together. We are striving together to, with one great goal, and that goal is to glorify God. And we are together in this. That's why... The, the, the group that got together, together for the gospel, they say, we have one great cause. We have one great cause. And what that cause is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we come together and we preach the gospel and we explain the gospel. And they are together for the gospel. True unity is togetherness. We are together, and we're going to see next week, Lord willing, what brings us together, the doctrine of brings But we are together with the great goal to glorify God. And look what unity is. Unity is spiritual. Notice what the verse says. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the what? Only the Spirit of God can produce this. We can try all we want. But unless the Spirit of God is working in each life, there will not be unity. Here's what someone has once said. The, the Spirit of God, as we walk in the Spirit, He creates the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and we will have unity with one another. This is a spiritual thing. This is not just, we put these two principles together and all of a sudden, if I just do my part, everything's going to be okay. No, we need the Spirit of God for this. What is it that unites us as a church? The very Spirit of God. What is it that takes different nationalities, different races, whatever it may be, and brings them together to worship Jesus, worship the God of heaven? The Spirit of God does that. This is the unity that comes by who? The Spirit. This is important. Because there's a lot of people who get together because they're based on these external stuff, but they don't have any unity because the Spirit of God is not in their lives. Unity of the Spirit Notice what else it is. It is spiritual. It results in peace. The bond of peace. 
That's the bond that brings us together, the spiritual belt that brings us together. This is what it means. When I am committed to unity in the church, I am committed to peace. Peace. And so what do I have to do? Watch this. What is unity? Unity must be maintained. Let's go back to that verse. Being diligent to preserve the unity. Here's what he's saying. That although the unity is given by the Holy Spirit, we can disrupt it. We could stir the pot. We could ruin relationships. We could insist on our own rights and destroy others. We could not control the power that God has given us and manipulate and dominate and hurt others. We can lose our patience. And instead of having a long fuse, we can lose our patience and destroy others. We cannot be tolerant with one another. Did you see so-and-so, what they're doing? You see this and that we're doing? And, they, and we're stirring the pot. And we're disrupt, disrupting God's peace. Somebody once said this. Listen to this. This is about his conviction. And I go into this for my own heart, not, not for, your, for my heart. How can we stir the pot and hurt unity with our confident opinions? Let me tell you how it should be. Listen to me. I know. I remember one time I said to somebody, well, God knows whether or not. No, he goes, no, I know. So, confident opinions. Let me tell you what else would stir the pot and hurt. Disruptive and destructive gossip. Hear what so-and-so did? Can you believe that they do that? Let me tell you what else can really stir the pot and hurt is bitter arrogance. Not being open to what God has. To shutting down. To thinking, you know what? I'm okay without you and without God. That, my friends, is arrogance. Because you're not. And neither am I. We need one another. But to say, you know what? Yeah, you don't tell me this stuff. Come on, forget about it. I don't, I don't want to hear this stuff. We hurt. That's the negative side. Let me, let me tell you the positive side. How can I cultivate this? How, 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 can I, how can I build on this? How can I build my relationships? Well, it's something we need to cultivate. And how, how do we do that? It's not by walking into a building, sipping a little coffee, saying, hey, how are you doing today? And leaving. It's by coming into a place with people who are different, maybe even be weird or whatever you want to use the word for, and saying to them, how can I pray for you today? How can I do something? Maybe we can get together for a coffee this week. Well, I want to spend some time with you. Let's cultivate this. I thank God we're doing that during small groups on Wednesday nights during our donut time. Gabe invaded our donut time. How dare he? You have to be over 50 to get there. When he came, our average age went down to 40. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was beautiful. 
I said, Gabe, what'd you think of our donut time? He said, I didn't understand half the things they were talking about. <laughs> you don't even know what these guys are going to spit out during donut time. I mean, it's crazy. But I tell you, our donut time is a time of cultivating relationships with one another, praying for one another, hearing about one another, talking to one another. You learn about people during that time. I'm thankful that Debbie and Linda open up their homes and the things that they do. It's relational. We cultivate unity as we're being relational with other people. You say, Jeremy, I've done that, but people have burned me. I know, they burned me too. But guess what? I've burned others. It goes both ways. They are messy, but they are worth it. And when we understand what God wants and we understand what God produces, we give all the glory to God. And we pour our hearts out into people and we build relationships with them and they move to Missouri. <laughs> How dare they? Five years together, four years or whatever it was, four and a half, and you moved to Missouri. I mean, couldn't you move to New York or a you know, more godly place? Missouri of all places. <laughs> but let me tell you, we don't regret those years together. They were great. So here's the question for us, and I'm thankful for Whitefield Community Bible. Do you know what I'm thankful for? When people come in here, they feel loved. People really do care about each other here. That's a great thing. But we need to continue to cultivate that. We need to continue to preserve that. We need to continue to show our care for one another. So what steps can you take to cultivate unity? How can you work at it? And, he, and here's what, what I did, and I looked at it and I said, Lord, as I look through these things, my stepping stones, humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, love, show me where I need to grow and help me to grow there. Take one at a time. Go down them in your own life, in your own heart, and say, Lord, am I humble? We know the answer to that. How can I cultivate not insisting on my own rights? How can I cultivate looking at others as more superior to myself? Help me. I'm selfish. Lord, am I being gentle? Or am I saying harsh things to people and hurting them? Social media and all these things give us more avenues, text messaging, to say harsh things to one another. Lord, help me not to do that. Lord, am I being patient? Am I my fuse coming out? Lord, am I bearing with the faults of one another? All am I thinking about is their faults. Or when they say something about me, it, it hijacks every, my mind, my sleep, everything about me. Lord, am I really wanting God's best for them? Help me to do that. And as we go through this, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. And it's amazing how our relationships continue to grow by his grace. I look, I'm reading a book now on parenting. It is knocking me out, leaving me on the floor, spitting me up. I mean, it is, be, I mean, it is unbelievable. And I look at my life and I say, God, help me. I need help here. I mean, now 17, maybe you know, one more year left. and Well, she's going to Pikes Peak, but I need help. <laughs> And he has a way of showing us. And so when your relationships break down, instead of blaming it on the other person, it's time to search our own hearts. And say, God, what have I done? 
And what can I do to restore this and bring honor and glory to you? This is what a growing church does. Next week, we're going to see what a growing church believes. Then we're going to pick on the leadership. The week after that, well, that's Mother's Day. We won't pick on the leadership. We'll pick on the mothers. And then the week after that, we'll pick on the leadership. And then we're going to see how can I can contribute to this growing church. Ah, this is an exciting chapter four. Well, let's pray and give God the glory this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. Wow. We look at it and we, we look at our lives and we ask you, Lord, right now to search our hearts. See if there's any evil way. Maybe we're not even seeing anything, Lord. We need you to reveal to us the areas where we need to grow in our relationships with one another. I think about spouse with spouse. Is there humility there? Is there gentleness there? Is there patience there? Is there tolerance there? Is there really love? I think about parents struggling with their children. Lord, is there humility there? Is there gentleness there? Is there patience there? Is there tolerance there? Is there really love? Some parents say they love their children, but that means they love their children to do what they want them to do. Not what you want them to do. So Lord, help our hearts today, we pray. God, I'm so thankful for a loving church. We come in here, there is love in this church produced by the Spirit. We're so thankful for that. We're asking you to help us to cultivate even more. That we would build relationships with one another even more. And not just saying, hi, how are you? How was your week? But wanting to really know about their souls and getting together with one another and encouraging one another and praying for one another and caring for one another even more. I'm thankful for how we're doing it right now. But we're asking you to help us to grow. Lord, we need humility. We need gentleness. We need patience and we know that that's the fruit of the spirit so we're asking the holy spirit to live through us and to produce that fruit we yield our hearts to you right now take out the selfishness that's there the arrogance that's there the bitterness that's there the harshness that's there the lack of love that's there and Lord, I ask you that you would fill our hearts with true humility, with true gentleness, with true patience, with true tolerance, and with true love. May it start today in our relationships around us, with our families, with our spouses, with our children, with our bosses, whatever it may be. May it start today in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with us?